so, in fact, um, that the second noble truth really helps us to understand uh, the way that individuals operate, even operate within a group or operate within a society or uh, a culture. And it's all the same greed, ill will and delusion. Now, the Pali word delusion is actually Ajiva. And was originally translated as not uh, as ignorance in the sense of just not knowing. An ignorant person doesn't know. Except that the ignorant person doesn't know that he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the whole idea then of not knowing there's but when we understand it better from Ajiva, uh from not knowing is a better way of understanding it is knowing not. Yeah, like know that you're like you don't know that you know. Well, knowing not in the sense of what you know is not. This is not necessarily ignorance in the sense of that you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. This is, is that uh, you do know but you do, but you completely refuse to accept that which you know is correct. Yeah, yeah. This is called denial. Yeah. And it's called delusion. And in fact, there's a lot of jokes about denial. You know, there's, <laughs> there's not just one denial. Egypt is not the only place. Sages <laughs> denial. Like the relationship. Uh, right. The whole the whole mindset of humanity is in a state of denial. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and we can use the word delusion. So a, a simple example of that. It's night. You're in the dark completely. In the middle of the night, you get up to use the bathroom. For some reason, either the power is off or, or uh, you don't want to turn the lights on. Let us say that you don't want to turn the lights on for some reason or another, but you know your way to the bathroom anyway. Yeah. Okay, and so you go to the bathroom, and on the way, you stump your toe. Mm-hmm. Now, did you stump your toe in ignorance, or did you stump your toe in denial or delusion? Ignorance. Mm, no. no. Because if you didn't know where the furniture was and you knew that you didn't know, you'd turn the darn light on. Yeah, I was going to say delusion. I, I, I kind we of. We were deluded into thinking yeah. that we knew the way to the bathroom. Exactly, yeah. We knew where the was furniture pretty. was. We knew the safety. I thought they were the same. That's why. Um, but I uh-huh. guess they're a little bit different, like in the sense of they're two different things. So, in a way, we can say that this denial is actually uh, what the Buddha refers to in the classical definition of wrong view. In the sense of the wrong view is, is that I can do it and get away with it. Yeah. Just like the people know that Trump was a scoundrel, is a scoundrel, a liar, a thief, a criminal, a cheat, a non-Christian. Yeah, that's And they vote for him anyway is a state of denial. Oh, we can get something from him and we can get away from him or we can get away with it. Yeah. This this is a kind of denial that we have. 
Another word that I will use is the word stupid. What is stupid? Knowing that this is wrong and we do it anyway. Yeah, that's the, I think everybody's familiar with that. Absolutely. It's, and uh, we can and we can see that in the in the sense of when someone is not on a diet, a donut is a donut, or they're delightful, or they're delicious. This is brand new; it just came out of the not box, but out of the factory and whatnot, and they're just so wonderful, hot, warm. Mm, everybody knows that. But when someone's on a diet, now he has something else going on in the sense of now he sees not the the, the donut is delicious but that he sees the danger in it. And because he sees the danger, he will escape from that donut. Maybe. Maybe yeah. he'll see the danger in it and eat it anyway. I've done that. I, we all, I, I've, I mean, I speak for myself. I've done that plenty. It's, it's, an, it's really, um, it can be discouraging if you don't know how to like get back up from it. You know. All right. Well, that's the way that we can deal with things is that we can see just the delight. Or we can see the delight in the danger. Okay. But we don't see the escape. Yeah. And this is where most of humanity is in the form of delusion is that they see it as dangerous. But they don't see the escape. To get away from it. They see the delight in Donald Trump. Oh, he's going to give us judges. Oh, there's going to be right to life. Yay, that's such a Christian thing. No, yeah. the Bible has, has actually the formulas for abortion. The what? The formula for abortion is in Deuteronomy. Abortions are actually done at the temple. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember those. I remember seeing all that. It was like, uh huh. So why if, then, in that regard, if they know that there that it's allowed in the Bible, why are there so many right to lifers? Is that actually a higher quality um, morality that the Bible well, didn't have, like slavery? I mean, the Bible allowed slavery. Yeah, it's uh, they use the excuse of uh, it was back then. It was that culture. It was the Jews. It was the law of the of a of Moses, and uh, okay. you know all of that. You know so the that doctrine. means, and we have learned better. Well, that's the whole point. Is that like since we don't learn, then we can't. Well, then why did they cling to these old books and look for their morality from these old books when, in fact, these old books do not support the morality that they want to have? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like anything. Can you see the story about the delusion and the denial in this? They can see the dangers in the Bible, but they can't see the escape from it. Yeah. So they continue to cling to it, even though they know that it's dangerous and that it, in fact, does not support their view that morality comes from God. Because humans, I mean, God had morality for the Jews at one time that allowed abortion, allowed slavery, it allowed uh, multiple wives, it allowed uh, well, cer uh, certainly racism. It's funny because, I mean, not to get too deep into all that and try to justify no, it. No, that's but... exactly the problem with the human mind. Let's go. 
it's funny because it's funny because in the Bible, even it was it wasn't even um, God who made those rules, because later it even says um, that even when um, one of the prophets asked God, "Is it don't sacrifices please you and all this and rights?" and he's like, "No, I never said that. I never said it. It was it was uh, one of the prophets or whatever that did that." And God was like, "I just wanted you to follow the heart, like just the heart." Like, who I said never, this? Oh, who said this? God speaking to a prophet in the Bible, in the story, of course. Oh, so it was a prophet, and he said, "I got it from him." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting because yeah. that like, that prophet over there got it from somewhere else. <laughs> he didn't get it from him. <laughs> and it's funny because as you go up the stories, it's like. All the prophets until Christ are just trying to fix the problem by making more solutions to the problem. And Christ was the only one like, just change your mind and leave it all out of, just go away from it. Like abandon it altogether. And Christianity has missed that most important teaching of Jesus. Yeah. They well, missed I left it. The when I encountered it. <laughs> Pardon? I left the church when I encountered that teaching. Um, actually, you could go so far as to use the word Sangha and church as interrelated. Okay. <clears throat> Except that no one in Thailand or anywhere else do I understand when they say Sangha, do they uh, confuse that with Wat? A Wat is a place for the Sangha. But the Wat itself is never the Sangha. Yeah, that's so a... Where in, in, in the West, the church is a building. And the, and the rest of the people are called a congregation rather yeah. than the church because the church has already been given to a building. Yeah, yeah. And even like in my church, they would, they would say that, but everybody would still believe it. Like it's a that's really... That's exactly right. That, that's exactly the point is, is that they can see the danger in making it a building, but they don't see the escape. Yeah. Yep. Because yep. it's, uh-huh. This is the human mind. This is an important quality. It actually has a quality for us with sati. How much are you going to wake up and how deep are you going to investigate? If we only wake up a little bit and only do a bit of investigation, then we're going to see the danger, but we're going to eat that donut anyway. Yeah, it's really like, I, I guess for me, it was really seeing all of the suffering that involved in lying to myself when I was in the in that little church. And um, yeah, it really, it takes that like a lot of like evaluation because it really is hard, especially when you like it, when you enjoy going looking at all the people and looking at your friends and talking and all that. Well, one of the qualities that that church has for children is, is, is a sense of community or belonging and regulation in the sense of a repeated pattern over and over and over and over and over again. All right. Uh, and that repeated pattern over and over again is how the human mind works is part of our chemistry in other words we have to see things several times before we get it 
Yeah. Yeah, that that is we part can look right at something and and not see it. Uh, oh, yeah. That happens in all kinds of things. People can be playing solitaire or Sudoku and not see something right in front of them. Yep. The same yep. thing is true when people are playing chess. You know, there's no, just really clearly that's a bad move. You're not looking at what's on, going on on the board, right? Okay, so, but we do that all the time. And that, um, and so basically it has to do with repetition. If we see something not at all, then we have no clue. If we see it, like for instance, we can see only the deliciousness of the donut. And so even though we want to be on a diet, we say, well, this one's not going to hurt. I'll get away with it. In other words, we, we don't really see the danger yet. But as, 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 it, as it literally the weight piles on about how dangerous the donut is, that's when we begin to change our complete view about it, that this is dangerous and must be escaped. Um, do you mind if, let me, like, I actually, this relates to my, what I've been going through. Um, well, it's Dhamma, so it ought to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I guess, like, even to... A lot of the practice until I met you was really like up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, like fair, like, oh, yeah, incorrect, correct, incorrect, correct, incorrect, and not even knowing if it was incorrect or correct. So, and like ever since I started practicing um, more, um, it seems like I might go on, like I go on these longer streaks, you know, without like unwholesome, you know, I go maybe a uh, really long and then one day I get complacent and I mess up and three days I'll be incorrect. I'll, I'll try to fix everything, trying to solve, you know, all my problems. And then I finally come back. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait. I, and now, <laughs> and, uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, like it, in all honesty, like people, just, there I, are some people who do that. Um, you can almost go so far as to say that it's like this, that whenever any vehicle gets started, it gets started slowly and then picks up speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anytime a wheel will spin, it starts spinning, and then it spins faster and faster depending upon uh, the effects that, that are having on that. Now, this is an important point because your Dhamma practice is like that in the sense that when it stopped, that means that we're in Dukkha for 25 years. Yeah, yeah, it's forever, yeah. And, and then what we have to do is we have to start up to feel good, and now we have the job of extending that time and making it more often. And as you say, one of the phases that we go through fairly early is, is that, yeah, we can get it. Yeah. And it'll last for a few days, and then when we lose it, we lose it for a few days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it seems like the streaks are getting a lot more than just like it'll be one day or, or two instead of like months and giving up. And, That's exactly you know. what I'm getting at. For some students, really in the beginning, it will be a little bit of uh, joy followed by long periods of time of, of wanting joy. 
But then we get to the point of where we can actually get ourselves in a pretty good state. This is exactly what was happening with Matt uh, that's on some of the videos. So I can go ahead and talk about it. Is that he went off and did a week retreat and it was marvelous. And he stayed on such a high that it lasted for him about a week or so after, which was marvelous. Most people, they crash. But he took a whole week after before he crashed. But did he? Yep. Almost like (laughs) it's about time I expected you to go ahead and crash, okay? And so he calls and he's all misery guts. This is really funny because I I kind of, like I said, I kind of came out of it recently um, for just like a three, two days. Uh, I was kind of like really... um, confused like just really confused i don't get like giving up the pot is like uh different because now i i smoke pot like every hour you know it wasn't like uh no, chichi and chong <laughs> yeah yeah i was really you look just like one of my <laughs> chichi <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and and uh, it's really surprising to know that when you give up these things, how much energy you give away, like, you know, like the energy you put into these things and also like how much sleep, like how much irregularness, like, cause I've been smoking pot since I was like 14. So I don't know the difference between like being off pot and like being not off pot. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, this... since the effects only last a couple of hours, except for some residual stuff, you've either got to be talking about what's it like to be stoned or what's it like to be normal, because the residuals, they can say, last up to 30 days or so. So you got to go more than 30 days without it to find out what life is really like, if there's any difference at all. And you have to notice that very carefully, because there may not be, or it yeah. may be coming down like that until it's undetectable within 30 days and so where along that line does anything really change yeah because nothing well that's the whole thing that's where i wanted to get to where it was like i keep whenever i do something unwholesome and i and i fall into that state of blame i start blaming things oh i have to stop doing this oh i have to stop doing that oh i have like that was the attitude before i would just assume that i would have to kind of even like kind of torture myself, you know, like don't have fun, don't do anything in life, you know. And then I came to the point where I was like, okay, no, that's not how you deal with it. You deal with it with creativity, ingenuity, looking, 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 and meditating, and and don't give up, and don't just like assume things. Just really try, try your best, and don't give up. And then it's almost funny because I've seen this cycle more clearly as I I've, as I practice this year like all the failures and like, I'm not afraid to see my failures. Like I'm not feeling guilty that I failed. And then, then that's good. That means you can see all of your failures. If you feel guilty or feel bad about seeing our failures, we don't want to see it back to the denial. We do not see the danger in, uh, because it's delicious just to deny. We cannot see the danger in denying our bad actions. So this is exactly back to the same thing. Exactly. It's like a... It is exactly the same thing. This is it. It's a human condition. We cannot see the dangers in things sufficiently enough to set ourselves free from it. 
and then it start for me i've seen it start right away when like like i caught it this time like because i made sure like after i failed like i did i got back into sober mind like i sat down i was like okay this is the point where my mind thinks oh just practice again just do the same thing you were doing so that you can feel good again and like uh like instead of actually like, growing, why don't you just remember to feel good instead <laughs> like, like there's just a like this idea where it starts to proliferate like this idea of growth progress it starts to become time again like there isn't that it starts to become um ordinary right view instead of like right view or uh, the super mundane right view um mm -hmm. so like i'm here now right so like i have i have goodness i feel good right now and I'm, I'm good but that now, is wholesome exactly and <laughs> How do when we see that danger and we do it anyways? Is it because we don't understand it enough or is it because we're just we're just no, we do understand, but we uh, better say it this way. The danger has to outweigh. The delight. In other words, it's, it's it has something to do with a cost benefit analysis but that's actually what puts big, big companies into big business is because they do a cost benefit analysis but then all those executives don't go home and and do a cost benefit analysis on every aspect of their life so that's what we're doing that's the investigation and the investigation is to be able to see the danger and if we can see that the danger outweighs the benefit, then we're not going to keep buying that. Yeah, because I noticed that, like at the beginning, we were dealing with um, wholesome, and we're always going to be doing that. But like now, I feel like I'm getting to that values, like mm -hmm. these important things, like they come up in the mind because of such a long training of doing those things, like smoking pot or 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 going or walking back and forth or just doing, you know, things that are rooted in anxiety mm -hmm. or, or pressure. Um, so like now I'm here and when that happens, I, it's usually because of, it's usually after a high, let's just put it that way. It's usually after a, a really like, you know, um uh like something really good you know some maybe i'm going really and it's really nice and then um, but isn't the really nice that you're talking about just as an aside isn't that really nice state kind of got nothing to do with having too much or the amount of pot that people if they keep smoking and keep having too much then their blood pressure will drop they'll almost pass out. They'll get very, very lethargic when there's a high quality, uh, excuse me, a high quantity. But you're not talking about that. You're talking about the state of delight that it brings on. Oh, I'm talking about but I'm talking about like practicing Dhamma. I'm not talking about the pot. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. All right, so the delight of the meditation. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. my ears are not all of that great. I didn't follow that connection change. Uh, no, it's okay. Um, uh, so 
like when I'm practicing the Dhamma and maybe I'm like Matt, you know, I, I, I've done that and mold, like it's happened. It's happened. And, but now what I don't want is, is I want to be able to kind of have a, have a like, Hey, it's coming. So like be prepared and this is what you got to use because sometimes like when that happens, it always happens when we're not like that. It happens right after the crash. It doesn't happen. What is it that tell me about it again? I'm confused. When you're, when you're in a, a, like a really joyful state and and it doesn't happen. It always happens when the joyful state. What is it that happens? That's the question. I'm not sure what's going on yet. (laughs) You're talking about when it happens. You're talking about this causes that. What is this that causes that? Well, it usually is like a really, because I can bring it up to memory. It's like a, a cloud of sleepiness. Like, it's kind of like you crashed. Like on, on, yeah, it's like you crashed on sugar. And then for a second, there's a moment where you're kind of dull and you're not paying attention. And then that's when it happens, when all the scent, it's almost like a, uh, you were kind of like, Mara kind of saw the opportunity that one split moment and you know uh yes yeah and it's like but i i don't know why i let myself kind of fall that way even though because you're in the habit of doing that when you're bright and shiny and on guard that stuff but when the doesn't happen but when we get off the high when we have a sugar uh, high, when we eat a donut, or when um, the meditation falls, the mind gets droggy. That's exactly why in this Satipatthana Sutta, it says to investigate the mind's states also. Is the mind droggy? Is the mind sharp? Is the mind focused? Is the mind scattered? Is it a monkey mind, or can it stay in one tree? Or is it jumping all over the place? This is something that we investigate. And so you've been doing that a little bit, and you've come to the understand that is when the mind gets dull is when all the old stuff comes right back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's really when it gets dull, too. It's when it gets like a... It's kind of like a kind of... Um, in a way, it's like an, in warfare, it's a night attack. When your enemy's asleep... Attack! <laughs> all right, so all of the old stuff comes up when the mind is dull. Congratulations, you're human. So when you say, I don't know why, I just described that's why. <laughs> it's, uh, how do we break through that dullness that comes? All right, for one thing, let it be that it's okay that the mind is dull. At least have enough sati to remember that you can handle this, that the mind is dull. You see, a lot of people have the idea that, oh, just because my mind is dull doesn't mean I can't beat it into shape because I've always been able to beat myself into shape. Or we going back to the whole idea of the critical parent versus the nurturing parent. You can nurture yourself even when you know you're tired. It's okay that the mind is tired. Go take okay. a rest. Take some deep breaths. Allow it be that it's okay that even a champion gets tired. 
Okay, okay. Okay. That uh, um, with Clint earlier, I stumbled upon the word um, uh, celebration to describe um, the practice of pity and sukha. You said Clint? Pardon? You said Clint? Clint. Oh, okay. a student. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea is, is that when we are able to clean the mind out, then we, when we clean it out, that's time for celebration. That that's satisfying. It's satisfactory. It's the winner. It's the change of attitude. That in fact the whole change of the attitude into an attitude of unremitting pity is to be in a state of unremitting celebration. Unremitting doesn't mean constant celebration. It means that your responses to certain stimuli wind up being celebration. So. Yeah. This is also what you can do even when the mind is dull and the hindrances come back. You can say, aha, I can see you and we can celebrate that. Okay, I so I can celebrate that. Yeah, the mind is tired and that uh, um, it starts to wander again. We can start we can actually tell it. Okay, down boy. It's okay. Relax, relax. Yeah, it's always it's always that it's always it seems like I think that uh, the value like of mindfulness kind of gets drowned out by the by the pleasure of, of Dhamma, like when you're practicing a, a certain practice or a certain category of practice or whatever. It's like you kind of get like uh, you kind of get drunk off that in a way and you kind of forget that, OK, wait, you still need. You kind of need to keep going, you know, you need to push forward through this because you forget there's a forward. You forget that, like that there's a forward and that there's progress to be made in some sense. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's uh, some mystics talk about it that way. They call it drunk on God. Be careful when you're walking around. If you're drunk on God, you'll slip and fall. You'll stumble yeah. onto something, you'll, you'll stump your toe, you'll fall down. That's what drunks do. Yeah. Yeah. So watch out for the danger of it. But in any case, the real danger will be that the guy, if he falls down, loses his drunk on God feeling, or is now he hating God because the ground is there for, to meet his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I look at it now, like I, I kind of like change the perception of it, like an image, like I kind of use a skillfully, like as a as a game, like as a sports, like when you if you ever play sports, like I play sports and I've never had that attitude when I played sports. Like I'm just going to I lost. No, like I would always be like, I want to win. I want to like I, I would like like I would go again and again. And usually the person that played with me had to tell me to stop. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. So you're talking about um, getting drunk on the high that you get by playing a sport game. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that amp, that attitude is there where it's like, I can do this. I am. 
I can do this. Okay, well, now you can change that same can-do attitude to meditation, and now all you have to do is make the entire world that sports field, and you're good to go. Yeah. That's, like, the whole thing is, like, sometimes, like, I'm, I don't know if I should, because, like, there's this idea that there's something to protect, you know, like, there's this practice, and then there's this life, and uh, it, sometimes it feels that way, where it's, like, uh, if you give all, if you give it all to the practice, then you're afraid that there will be nothing left. Well, isn't that the whole point? Yeah, but that's what I've, uh, that's what I, that's sometimes like where I come to that point, like where, uh, where I sober up again. And because when there really is nothing left, that means that now we can finally relax. We can yeah. really take it a, a, a load off. Because we just shut the load down. That's the taking of the load up. There's nothing left. That's why we practice. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's... Uh, what are you going to be missing? Whatever you're missing is a defilement that you'd be clinging to anyway. So when you got nothing left, then life, life's a joy. And that's uh, the whole thing. It's like... Um... I kind of made a joke to myself. I was like, looks like I got jumped by Mara's five friends. <laughs> like the five hindrances when I wasn't looking. Like I kind of stumbled. And it was, uh, um, it was funny. I looked at it that way and it was uh, very kind of different. Because um, a lot of the past is me giving up and coming back after a while and giving up and coming back after a while. And now mm -hmm. it's like, I mess up maybe a little bit, or if I mess up even big, I kind of get back up and I'm like, okay, it, it's fine. No one's going to kill me. It's That's all right. good. So you're not being critical of yourself anymore. You're beginning to nurture yourself. It's okay. It's all right. It, uh, it took a while because at first it felt painful to do that because I thought that I should be uh, kind of, I have to be hard on myself, like, you know, like in a, in a kind of torture way. Yes. Because that's the dumb animal. The dumb yeah. animal has to do what is told, and the reward that the dumb animal is going to get by uh, uh, doing the work to get that reward is a bait and switch. And the, and the dumb animal never gets anything. It's like uh, when they ch Charlotte, have you ever seen uh, Charlotte's Web? Who? Uh, uh, I think it's Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. Are you talking about the cartoon, Charlie and uh, uh, the kids and, and uh, Lucy? No. It's, a, it's, okay. about, it's about a pig and uh, a spider. No, I don't know the story of the pig and the spider. But it was funny because the pig uh, is going to get killed. Um, like, at first it's like he's getting a treat, but it's truly to kill him. Mm -hmm. or, yeah, it's truly to kill that pig. Tricking it. Yes. Exactly. So it's a it's a bait and switch. Our whole culture is based upon it. Religion is based upon it. That that's the uh, pro that's what in fact what propaganda is all about. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And in a positive way, you could use it in reverse in the sense of faking it until you make it. Are you saying that that's another unwholesome way to do it? No, no, I'm saying the reverse of it, that if uh, if you can't be kind to people, then fake it. 
Yeah, practice. Yeah, practice at it. That's There's another way of saying fake it is just to say practicing it. Yeah, like um, like this idea that I think it's more like we have these faculties and then the knowledge is learned. It's like a kind of oh, power. But it takes several times. Yeah, yeah. We don't learn anything the first lesson. We always have to fail it several times. Except that our culture demands that you have to do it right the first time. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So our whole culture is based in failure. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, like in the fear of failure? Right. Why are we afraid to fail is because we're not supposed to fail. Yeah, really, that's it. But when we are playing, then it doesn't matter whether I win or lose or I fail or whatever like that. I'm having fun while I'm doing it. Exactly. Without a fear of the outcome. <laughs> it's always like that. It's so funny because it's always. Now it seems like my mind is always coming back to that context of like, it's all good. It's fun. Um, it's all good. And but it's sometimes. Um, like I noticed it, it's funny because. Before, I wouldn't even give myself credit. Like, I would just um, uh, discredit everything I ever done instead of seeing the things that I did wrong. So it's like, uh, it's good that way now. Like, it's, it's really good. Exactly. So you're critical then. Every time you do something wrong, you're critical of it. Yeah. Guess what? You learned that behavior, and you learned it from parents, uncles, aunts, grandmothers, Grandfathers, yeah. teachers, older students, preachers, yeah. Sunday school teachers, they all are suffering from the same disease, and every one of them spreads that infection to every child they know. Yeah, and it's like uh, you get first taste of that uh, when you do homework with a Spanish mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's called criticism. Yeah. And the funny thing of it is, is, is that when uh, a child picks up that criticism and is critical of another child, the adult in the room will say, don't do that. Don't be critical of others in a critical way. Yeah, the irony. That's funny. Isn't yeah. that funny? Yes. So that's such a deeply ingrained thing that we walk around criticizing ourselves rather than nurturing ourselves, allowing ourselves to still be a child playing. We're, we actually do live in a protective environment. Our society is protected. You live in a very safe, I mean, you're in that room. There are no alligators, there are no pythons, there are no pigs, there are no snakes. There's no mafia with knives out or guns pointing at you. You're safe. So why is it that every individual that works around and lives in a society like that, and there, there are from time to time actual dangers, but with wisdom, we don't have very many of those. In other words, if you're wise enough and smart enough to stay out of a car and you don't ride around or go anyplace, then the, un then the likelihood of you being in a dangerous automobile accident is very low. Yeah. That's just an example. So, yeah. 
we begin to uh, know what the dangers are so that we can escape them and avoid them. This actually goes back to the second noble truth. And that is, is that um, it's stated in the sense of greed, ill will, and delusion. And many times the, uh, the Mahayana or the short version of it will be uh, uh, that uh, it's tanha or it's grasping or it's greediness is the cause of suffering. But I propose to you, based upon what we've talked about some already today, that the greed is there and we know it. The ill will is there and we know it and we know the dangers of it and we do it anyway because yeah. of denial, thinking that we're going to get away with it. This is the real crux to the second noble truth. It's not tanha. It's not grasping. It's failing to see it as it really is. Dangerous. Yeah, and uh, I think it's so real that it's almost so obvious that we're expecting God to show up, you know, like to hit us. God just showed up. He's the <laughs> second noble truth. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The reason it's... why you suffer is because you're too stupid to get out of it. And when I mean stupid, I mean you can see the danger and you do it anyway. Yeah, it's, it really is that because I've said that to myself before. Like, you know, it's probably because I was dumb or uh, I didn't know any better as a child, you know, and I did those things. So it's, uh, it's, um, how do you say, how do we balance? Well, because sometimes when you say danger, some people might think, always be paranoid, you know, like, always look behind your back, you know. Or yes, being paranoid is really dangerous. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> danger sounds, because sometimes when we automatically, that's a, culturally the perception that we react when there's danger like whoop, you know we freeze ah but the the point is is that paranoia uh has to do with uh seeing danger in other people seeing danger in other places uh thinking that there are magical conspiracies and other things like that so that means that the one who is paranoid is actually not making an investigation at all. He's not looking around to see the real dangers. And one of the things, one of the dangers that he does have that he does not see is the danger in thinking that everyone around me is an enemy. And yeah. still stay there and do that. If the reality is, is that everybody around you is an enemy, Take a hike, get away, go find some place that's safe. But those who are paranoid, they don't do that. They don't go actually out being safety. They just want to hold it against those other people because we thought that they're out to do us harm. I mean, after all, the reason they're out to do me harm is because they're just as greedy as I am. And they're about likely to stab me in the back as I am to stab them in the back. We're yeah. all in this together, and we're all a bunch of thieves, and there's no honor among thieves. Yeah, yeah, there's always a, 
a sense of well fear a fear mm -hmm. more accurate like and so that that pervasive fear then can be talked of as in paranoia but paranoia is what everybody has until it really becomes overboard and then they call it delusional yeah 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 okay yeah. the parent but actually almost all of the paranoia is delusional all of it is yeah. never mind whether it's vinyl or uh tragic yeah yeah or banal this danger um it's funny because like do we It's hard to explain because, like, when you say danger, we, like, I see guns, I see, s uh, you know, I see snakes or something. But, like, are we, are you saying that when we see something that is delight, like, we delight in something that is unwholesome, like, we start to think and crave towards it? Right there is the moment that we should apply that tool of an danger investigating danger in that yes to investigate and also beforehand as well but not too much right no just enough to see the danger we don't have to dwell on it we don't have to take a clock apart to see whether it can tell time or not yeah because that's uh, a lot of writers um a lot of uh, buddhist uh, thailand forest masters and all there seems to be this like conflict between contemplation of danger and then relaxing and chilling and 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 being free from suffering and uh and then preparing yourself for suffering you know or, or contemplating the future dangers and and relieving yourself from them okay well let me give you this little example over at the what there was a time um there's actually seasons for snakes oh. and one of my friends warned me that this is a snake season Okay. And she just mentioned, I didn't give any more thought about it. But here I am uh, walking from one place to another uh, in, in, the, in the woods or, uh, yeah, kind of, a, I mean, I think they may mow it once a year or something like that. But there was, uh, and so uh, walking, and I noticed this snake right in front of me but not that close. In other words, I wasn't within two steps of it, three or four steps. And I oh. saw that snake. Okay, so I could see the danger. What did I do? I stopped. What do you expect me to do? Keep walking? No. I, a lot of people will get enamored by the snake or, uh, or whatever, but I stopped. It didn't take very long maybe just a second or two, and the snake saw me. I saw him first, and he saw me, and he slithered on off. Now, this was actually kind of a non-event, but it does talk about the, what, you're, what you're saying here. Because I can see the danger of the snake in advance, I could stop and avoid it and just relax. That's dangerous out there. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. See, That's I, why it yeah. looks like a catch-22, okay. is when we do see the danger, we can avoid it, 
and relax. It's really only when we can't see the danger that we will go ahead or that we, we don't see it enough to make the escape. The Buddha talks about it. We, we see the enamorization or we see the delight. We see the delicious quality of it, but we don't see the danger. And because, or if we do, we don't see the danger enough to make our escape. This is actually all about the second noble truth. It's not that we do not know that greed and ill will are incorrect. It's that we do not see the momentary uh, danger in this particular act of greed or ill will. Okay. We don't, and so we don't escape from it. We do it anyway. This is what actually, if you think about it, the, pro- the practice of the Eightfold Noble Path, the practice of Anapanasati, is nothing but the practice of this second noble truth to wake up to our own greed and our own ill will and see the dangers of it and find the escape from it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I just remembered something. Um, Windows, uh, it's usually, I think I just, I remembered when it starts. It starts when, because you mentioned something that kind of brought it up. It was like, when you, when you stop paying attention, it's really weird. It's like you stop paying attention and you try to feel good by just denying it. And then that little restless feeling turns into thoughts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. So, okay. Okay. And I you see, need to I see. see the danger of doing that. I see now. Actually, I actually see. have to see that danger and uh-huh. note it well and be free of it to escape oh. it. I know. Okay. See. Okay. I think I got it now. I think I, I really. It's funny because I. It's. I see. Yeah. It's like this weird, really quick, laziness, like complacency. Like it's really fast though. Like mm-hmm. it, it's like a. Like a. We see like the a, delight and off we go. We don't pause to look at the danger. We can see the danger correctly, then we'll change our behavior. It's funny because I can even tell you now that I remember, it's like, like you'll be in, like you say, like you'll be high and then you start little by little crashing, but that crashing is being caused by that little, little thing that arose, like some restlessness. It, it, mm-hmm. it might be small because this is what happens to me. It starts really small mm-hmm. and then I think that I'm okay because I feel good. Because I'm in a good state. Because I was doing good earlier. Ah, but we're not doing what we got into that state with. And that is, let's take another deep breath and and, uh, talk ourselves back. Let's not let all that restlessness come back. So we have to be on guard. That's what this all guarding is about, is, is that we can sustain it because we don't allow this stuff to happen. These little delusions that come in, this little bit of Myra. And the, and the mind will even, what I've seen, is like the mind, like if you really start to like kind of like really stay in that, like you kind of soak in that. It's like um, the mind will start using even like greater things that you care about to try to get your attention, like your money and, and your house. When at first it was just like the day and now it's like your life, you know, 
And I was like, your life, you know? Like the mind is really trying to like mess mess with you in, in, in that new way. Or like you start seeing like maybe the deeper layer. I don't know how you would word it, but I, I feel like it, start, it's, it's, it has this type of... Uh, Rather than think about it in layers in this way, uh, static layers. Think about it as dynamic layers or cause effects. All right. And we can also use the thing like roots when we're talking about things that are buried very deep. What that means is these little things that kick things off. The starter. Okay. The, the race is on, but there was a starter pistol. Something started that. Okay. This is what if we if we get really sharp in our in our mindfulness, then we can wake up to see the thing get started, which is what I'm inviting you to do. Instead of just taking the delight and seeing the delight and, and off you go, recognize that delight and also see the danger. Make that comparison. And once you do, then you're free to just go ahead and do it or to be free from it. Yeah, it's seen and, like clean, it's this clean. But really, things are not buried deep. I don't know why. Uh, I guess that's from a Western psychology. Yeah, There's nothing is. in the Thai language that talk about it in the sense of deep. It's all, uh, especially for Vikram Buddha Dasa, it's fast. Look fast. at what you're doing. Not deep. You yeah, got to be quick. It's uh. There's the there's the quick and the dead, or the quick and the dukkha, I guess. If it's, I get that because if it's quick though, does that mean that there are certain things that contact us? A little bit harder, like a faster impact, kind of boom, it hits us a little bit more force. Yes. And that's why we might. And, okay. and that force will be the delight, or that force will also be the force of uh, uh, loss. Okay, give me an example. So, like you're saying, those two forces of loss and gain, right? Right. So, an example would be in practice. So, or something that you really like. Oh, okay. will impact you hard. Something that you really don't like will impact you really hard. Uh, this uh, is pasta, contact, patita samupada all over again, deja vu. <laughs> but you told me to give you an example, right? Like of what yes. I like? Okay. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's just say a beautiful woman walks by. Okay. And uh, that's all right. a... Are you saying a female human walked by and you decided to call her beautiful because you liked it? Well, when I see a beautiful woman, there's many feelings. There's pleasant pain and many. <laughs> there's pleasure right? and pain. Because you like the initial image, but yeah, you yeah. can't have it. Now the pain comes. Yeah, that's what that's. Yeah, that I. Yeah. Uh, OK, but those are different sequences. And when you said a lot of stuff comes, well, yes, but they come in order according to what mind moment you're in. And sometimes you'll go back and forth and back and forth between I love her, I hate her, I love her, I hate her, I love her, I hate her. And we do that ignorantly or in the sense of delusionally because we don't wake up to the fact that we're <laughs> we want something we can't have and we don't like it, we can't have it. This is the definition of dukkha, that beautiful girl. It's like a, 
staying with what is agreeable and then getting separated from what is, I mean, getting separated from what is agreeable and then, uh, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying. Right. But, so yeah. it, you can see that liking and not liking, they're twins. Yes, they're not twins, yeah. they're two different leaves on the same bush. So do we abandon that? Do we abandon that, you that have way? You see the danger. And when you see the danger in either one of them, the either side or both sides together, then you can stop it. When you see that, oh, I saw that beautiful girl and now she's stuck in the mind, recognize that it's only your memory and your image that you're in love with. The girl's gone. <laughs> yeah, she took off. I mean, she was driving her car or you left the store or whatever and she's gone. But this is what we're in love with now that we can't have. <laughs> it's uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not subtle. It's quick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's. How do you say that? Um, I was gonna say that there is this. I wouldn't call because some people might say, "Oh, like because remember when we first started and it was like I had trouble understanding suka, and uh -huh. and the. And like this, though, is is what in English, because I don't know a better translation, but I would just word it like pressure, like that uh, sensuality. It's uh -huh. not sukha. This is like different, right? This is sensuality. And and this is the pressurized one. The way that it in English is just differentiated is the difference between uh, sensual delight and sensual desire. That makes a lot more sense. That makes a lot more sense because the sexual delight is the image. Sensual. Yeah, uh, desire. Well, well actually, that's the desire. The, the, the one that we keep coming back to, we want it. That's why we bring it back into the mind. But sensual uh, delight is when you wake up and recognize, hey, I don't have to think about her. I don't have to go through this in my mind about, about her. I don't even know her. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, got a new moment to live in the present. Well, I'm trying to think of like what actually does when I get caught, like when my mind starts to go this way or that way. It's usually um, when we come into contact with an unpleasant environment and we start to get tired little by little, and then we get home and we're tired, and now, like, little by little, that. The Mara, Mara's horde, you know, they start to creep in little by little. Um, but can you wake up to recognize that you're tired and subject to that? Yeah, see, this is the thing. So how do we... You can still there say, okay, relax, all right, okay. yes, yes, I'm thinking those thoughts, but they're just hindrances, just Mara, never mind, start again. So we can actually take that to the tired mind and just be okay with it. Yeah, when, when mind gets tired, the hindrances come back. Used to be they were there all the time, no matter what state of mind was in. Now that I'm watching, they're not there until I stop watching while I'm tired. <laughs> no big deal. So this hindrance, because this is also a question that I think is important for me. It's like the hindrance of being tired. Is it talking about not sleeping or sleepy? but rather unawareness, dullness, like you're not awake that you're tired. They are both classified together. Okay. okay. And I don't know how ancient the dictionary was that I.B. Honer was using 
but he chose to call uh, Titan Media in the poly, I forgot exactly how to say him, uh, as sloth and torpor. Yeah, yeah, I really don't All like right. that. Well, torpor <laughs> is sleepy. Let's use the word sleepy already. If you're sleepy, it's really hard to, uh, um, uh, to have mindfulness. It's a hindrance to mindfulness, but can you do it anyway? Can you go to sleep mindfully? Okay, see, that's what I'm saying. So everything should be done with that woke that wakefulness mm -hmm. okay and yeah. um and torpor is uh is tiredness laziness uh dullness and it also has the quality of uh don't careness and basically what that means is is that because of this dullness we can't see the danger in that that it's dangerous to let the mind just go to pieces when it's tired, especially when you're demanding that it do something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, exactly, that's a good word to use, demanding, because that is really what, what really breaks, when you're in that state, what messes it even more up is when you're demanding that you wake up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. mind is tired, go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's on the list. It's the last item on the list. But if you're actually sleepy, go to sleep. If you're actually tired, take a rest. And there's yourself, be nurturing. All of this criticism is uh, out of the Western mind and is normally human that we criticize our way into nutriment or nurturing. That's why mean? we're not very good at it. I mean, it doesn't work. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Criticizing into okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can't criticize our way into nurturing. We have to actually stop criticizing and nurture, allowing things to be okay. We don't have to fix it. It ain't broken. Just because the, the toy fell apart doesn't mean that you have to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's other toys to play with. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's weird because, again, I think of it's the fear of giving your yourself to that nurturing. To the to the ultimate, you know, to the force of unconditional, like it's unconditional nurturing or you know what I mean? Like there, there's this. Uh, what, all right. What is the danger? Because a lot of people find it fearful. They say, oh, if I don't criticize myself because we're talking about their opposites. So what is, what is the danger? in not criticizing oneself no danger it's good like but our not... culture tells us that it's dangerous you've got a gung-ho you've got to get, get to you got to get up and go to work <laughs> yeah time for wasting look at the clock it's funny because you never assume like you just assume you were kind of it's born it's a born um thing you but know you have it, it not we lose that i mean it's we, we are trained into it and almost everyone is trained into making things important yeah making things emergencies you, making things you've got to go do something about this i mean that's what politics is all about you got to get out and vote we're going to make you feel so bad or so good or want something so bad that you'll go out and vote yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, 
advertising. If he was mediocre, he would have been reelected. But he wasn't. A lot of people wanted to get rid of him. And so they did. He, he was uh, dangerous. <laughs> Just slightly. Some people could see it and some could only see the delight and could not see the danger. They knew he was a liar and couldn't see the danger in it. They knew that he was uh, uh, incompetent at the job, but they couldn't see the danger in it. And this is, uh, it's funny because like coming to this practice, like it's almost as if there's absolutely, the only thing that's needed to remember is that you don't need to like, that's like you said, that you don't need to identify, you don't need to cling, you don't, you don't need, you don't need, <laughs> that's the, that's the whole thing for me, it's like remembering. Right. You don't need, period, we don't need that. We yeah. just like it, and we like it so much, we uh, confuse ourselves into, with, with uh, delusion, that we need it. We don't need it. We just like it. And do you like this is a funny theory, I guess. It's like, is this why us like Westerners like do we this is why we suffer so much with practice more than usual. Other cultures don't. I see that like it's like Westerners have this like intense, more like a whole nother thing. It's like a whole nother thing. It's not even like practice, which is kind of weird how you can read something. And then, like, completely... I think all of that is back to the point that Tawad Samati was wrongly translated into the word concentration. That one mistake that we make, because that one mistake in the suttas then cascades because it fits right into the culture. And remember that the translations were always done by Westerners. Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. Um, there... I don't remember the Pali word for it, but it basically means keep at it. Okay. Keep at it. Or never mind, start again. Basically yeah. that, that kind of thing. Do you know and who Sade yeah. is? Pardon? Do you know who Sade, Sade the singer? No, I don't. No? Oh, she's such a good singer, and she has this lyric that's really similar to that. Like, she's like, don't ever get sad, but keep on looking and keep on looking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that. That's a... right. Keep on, keep on, keeping on. Never mind. Start again. All right. That word that can be translated as persistence in uh, is not. It's translated into strive. Yeah. So the Buddha says um, uh, at the last when he was dying, rather than taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. He, he changes it slightly into take refuge in yourself. <laughs> Strive on with diligence and take refuge in yourself. Okay. What that basically is meaning is, is that the Dhamma is already inside. You're actually taking refuge in the Dhamma. But it's not for striving. It's for unremitting or persistence. Just keep going. You fall down, get up, keep going, just keep going. Keep celebrating. Keep the joy going. Never mind that you've fallen down. Get up. Boogie on down the road. It's, it's, but uh, we change that into the word strive. And so yeah. here we go. We start striving. Yeah, yeah. Or like, uh, I think there was this monk that he used this phrase that the Buddha used. 
where it was like um where the buddha was explaining how to meditate incorrectly and it was like um all of them had in common that they were focused practices and that it was like um the buddha would say it would be like a cat waiting for a mouse that never comes though mm-hmm. like it'll never get there like you're waiting for a mouse that never comes so it's like it's kind of like you said that when you correct our practice usually where it's like like before where we were just practicing waiting for satisfaction like waiting around or something so it was like if i put a, if i put in all the effort if i strive long enough and hard enough then eventually some deity or a common machine in the sky some god is finally going to take mercy upon me and give me the delight that i have been refusing to give myself yeah yeah <laughs> it's um and this fetter, right? This is a fetter. The Sotipanas, uh, the fetter that they are brute is the one of sensuality. No, wait, not sensuality. Uh, rites and rituals. Um, forgot the other ill will. Was it ill will as well? Well, uh, the number one is self view that self- we are, okay, that we're important, that we're everlasting, that we're <laughs> something special, that God loves me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. And all of that identification that comes with self-importance or selfishness, just being selfish. This is the first fetter. The second fetter is um, culture. But yeah. Duda didn't have a word for culture, but it, uh, the, the Pali word is sila bhata paramasa, which actually means attachments to sila. Yeah. The right way to do things. Correctness. This is where the critical parent comes from. This is the rule. All right. And we have to learn to be free from that. Yeah. And the easy way to do that is by starting to nurture ourselves rather than being critical. Yeah. That's always been the hardest thing for me. Even people it's say one of the fetters. It's 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 so deep. <laughs> that fetter of Sila Bhata Paramasa that gives rise to the parent ego state. I mean, it's well known, well documented. Psychology knows about it. Neuroscience knows about it. Everybody knows about it, but very few people will notice it and watch for it in their own mind, which we yeah. can think of as it's unwholesome. It's unwholesome to be critical. And it causes the, the, the child ego state. So the child, the deep part of us, hears all that criticism, and naturally, we feel bad. Yeah. We resist it. We rebel against it. And we feel guilty. Or we go along to get along and do what we're told, but always the end feeling is a negative feeling. But we will respond not to criticism, but to nurturement. And, and nurturing will respond positively to that at a feeling level. And so when we start to nurture ourselves, which would be gladdening the mind, then we can respond to it by feeling satisfied, by feeling uh, comfortable. And then the next part of it, that's the sukha, and then the pity comes is when we begin to really celebrate this. When it's great. When it's, we're the champion, we can do this. Yeah. That that celebration comes from the form of, no matter how obstructed the mind gets, I know I can get myself out of it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we're setting ourselves up for failure. Like, 
where it's like, oh, the culture, man. the culture set us up for failure by criticizing the children. We all, we, oh yeah, wow. You know what's funny too is that I just realized sometimes, like when I start over, you know that process of like, oh, you fall and now you come back. It's like you, like you carry instead of leaving what was what brought you down in the first place, you bring that stuff back up the mountain with you, mm. only to fall back down because of the weight. Like it's a absolutely <laughs> yeah that really clicked right now to me that i never noticed that that these things don't have separate lives like because sometimes i assume that like because they're so ingrained as a habit that you assume them to be an essential part of you to carry around you know always look for it hey like not knowing that you looking for it is the very thing that is <laughs> is the hindrance Exactly. Not knowing your own wanting, not knowing your own disliking. Yeah, it's and like, not seeing how dangerous it is to dislike something. Yeah, because then you try to pry into. That's funny how all these little metaphors are so similar to like that idea of the Dhamma and everything. Like when people pry into something, you know, like they do it with such aggression and they never like <laughs> <laughs> you got to work hard you got a lot of problems in there boy <laughs> yeah and i i even remember my mother she used to say this was like when i was younger a lot life is hard life is hard so you better give you know like that yeah yeah like mm -hmm. it's very uh work oriented and uh conservatively that's the human or especially western culture it's actually kind of worldwide now one of the last visits to, for it to die is here in Thailand, but it's got a knife in its back already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the modern, the modernization of everything. Yeah, modernization of everything means that everything is important. Everything has to be fixed. We got to have a, a first-class culture here. Never mind that in this first-class culture with all the high rises, all of our technology, all of our good clothing, all of our well-fed, and all of our good medicine, we're still all miserable. <laughs> yeah it's 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 crazy that we don't see that it's us <laughs> it's our own thing it's like and do you think though that modernization like technology and do you think that it's 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 uh what do you call that unwholesome that it's not going to lead us to anything really it's got its desirable qualities to it recognize those desirable qualities yeah, as I, well I, as investigate and see the dangers in there also, so that yeah. you can find the escape from it. Let those who delight in, in the culture keep it going. As Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Yeah, yeah. It's because of technology and there's this whole, uh, you know, like nature and technology and uh and all of these different, um, you know, it's destroying nature. Like, there, the more we make, it seems like it's destroying the world that we live in. So it's like, like, my thing is like, should we even keep, like, we are, it's not my choice. But like, in my mind, it's like, why do we do that? I mean, don't we, like, we could stay here now and we would be fine, like, with the stuff we have now. But we want to make, like, AI and destroy every little 
nature spot ever. How many iPhones has uh, Apple come up with? How many windows are there? <laughs> Ten now. There's so many. Yeah. Okay. Way back when, and then 3.11, and then NT, and then we got Millennia, and then Vista, and there was XP or X, or, uh, <laughs> then eight and nine, seven and eight and nine. Now there was never a nine, but there's ten. Okay, why do they keep doing that? Because they can. Yeah. If they kept 3.1 on the market, what would computers be like today? But more than that. How much money would Microsoft be making off of 3.11? Oh, no. Oh, no. They keep coming out with a new one and a better one, and people stop complaining about this, that, and the other thing. And then the next year, they have to put out yet a new version of it. Yeah, and it's almost, like, so perfect. They just, they're just like, oh, let me raise the memory. Let me, let me fix the camera. It's not even like, a, or let me just put, like, a slightly faster processor. Or something like that. It's like it's never something transformational. It's never something helpful. It's always just the slightest little difference. Yeah. Are people actually better off with cell phones now? Yeah. They may be things that are more convenient. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But I think that life is actually much faster now because uh, the technology is so much faster. That's what I'm saying. It helps. Like, I would never be able to talk to you. None of us would be able without a phone. Yeah, so, so there's got a great advantage if we use it correctly. But we have to also recognize there's great dangers there. Yeah, and I'm asking because Bhikkhu Buddhadasa mentioned this in one of his books, I believe, where it was, like, mentioning that uh, materialism, our, our obsession with materialism, and that the world that we're creating is going to lead us to kind of, like, not very good place. Precisely. So materialism is one of the primary forms of greed. In fact, a lot of materialism is not for the material possession itself, but a means to an end for other materialism. An example of that is the chick magnet. What's the chick magnet? That's a fancy car. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, check my So guys. you got to go buy the expensive car, dreaming or thinking that it's a check magnet. Actually, what I do want is a check, but I don't get a check, so I'm going to buy a car instead. Maybe the car will get the check for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's materialism, but we find that same materialism in the rites, rules, and rituals of religion. It's all materialism. Yeah. A lot of material, a lot of magic has to do with material objects, onks and rings and uh, amulets and all kinds of little trinkets that that we have uh, as materialism. And actually, all it is is a manifestation of of our greed. So the guy who's got a little Buddha statue that he carries secretly and or, or inside his shirt and all of that like that, he's saying, "This is what I don't have." Wow, this yeah. is what I want. This is this is the representation of the of uh, material possession of what I actually want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, and uh, so a lot of our materialism is a secondhand materialism, in the sense that we it's not the primary point. An example also of that is the cell phone. You don't want a cell phone simply for the for the cell phoneness of it. 
You yeah, want yeah. that cell phone because it's a smartphone and it can do internet and it's got Wi-Fi and it's got, you know, this, that, and the other thing on it that I can use. And why do I do all of that? Because that cell phone's also a chick magnet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> not mine. Right now. Oh, well, not yours. Well, you haven't been on the right websites. Which, uh... Right, Love Life for the Elderly is one of the websites. Oh, is that like a dating site? Huh? Like a, yeah, dating, dating sites. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't use those. I did at one point in my life, like all that stuff. But See? Okay, so that's the whole point about in that regard. The cell phone itself is also secondary. We actually are wanting something else. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have been ta taught that. That in order to get this, you've got to buy that. In order to get that, you've got to go to work. You got, you know, et cetera, like that. And there's always this sequence of events. And in all of it, we never get the promised good. We never wind up feeling the way that the society has lied to us, telling us kind of that we'll feel. An example of that is the kind of imagery that is on the commercials and the kind of music that they play while they're advertising medicines and drugs and having and giving you a long list of the side effects and why not to take it because they're forced by law to do that. But the image and the music and all of that is look how good you'll feel if you take yeah. our medicine. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say really fast cancer, uh, diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, right. Cancer, diarrhea, you know, heartburn. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doka, 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 doka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they give you the image of how beautiful it is and, and enticement so that you get to the enticement and you don't see the danger. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Go ahead. Oh, okay, I was going to say... <laughs> that this is where our denial shows itself up for, for me at least the most where it's like the big things like oh you know like why do you listen to music why do you uh, like ask there's a point where it's like the investigation is so like kind of ongoing that you start to even ask why you do things sometimes like Right, because benefit analysis. But the problem with the uh, with the um, critical mind is that it's always no, you're doing wrong, you're screwing up, you can't allow yourself. Okay, here's an example of that. This has actually happened. Uh, uh, the student is uh, saying he should meditate. He's watching YouTube. But instead of enjoying the YouTube, he's saying you ought to meditate. Yeah, and yeah. He and he should be meditating in the sense of giving himself permission to enjoy the YouTube. Okay, okay. You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, yeah. I, I've yeah, we need that. to nurture ourselves. We need to get in the habit of nurturing ourselves. But we also have to do it in the sense of really allowing ourselves to see the danger. without being critical about it. Just stop. See the release and the escape rather than being caught in the bind between the delight and the danger. That's a really uh, esoteric approach <laughs> in the sense of there's this old thing where uh, these meditators in India, they, use, they go by, do it until you get it. 
they don't go by like philosophy. They just make mistakes, may do like they just do the things that uh, the practice. They don't really think about it. They just kind of do everything. They live their life and they figure everything out. And uh, um, well, that sounds like the easy, natural way of doing it. Yeah. Then you don't even have to learn Dhamma. You can just sit and be in, <laughs> enjoy your life. That's the whole thing about it. But the thing is, is that's that teaching could be dangerous because of the fact that what if someone hears that and then they all they do is watch YouTube for a month? There are people who do that now and feel bad. But wouldn't that be like just watching YouTube? Like they wouldn't be like there would be no insight. No? Well, what else they've got to do with their time and they're not practicing Dhamma. They're just watching YouTube. With all of the millions of YouTube views, how can there possibly be nobody watching YouTube? Oh, no. Some people are watching YouTube 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. YouTube until they drop. Others yeah. are out there shopping until they drop. Yeah, that's the old approach of the master where it's like, send you to mess up if you want. And then once you learn you messed up or like that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. Then you come back and you kind of reevaluate or you see how much can you do and how much you shouldn't. And right. we have to make our own investigation. This is kind of strange, but in uh, many of the parts of the culture of the uh, oh, we'll call them Native Americans because we don't have much of any other name correct for them. But in the Native American culture, if an infant crawls, a crawling infant crawls into the fire in the, their culture, they will allow the child to do that. Okay. In the Western culture, if we see the kid crawling to the fire, somebody will say something, people will get up and try to grab the child before it hurts itself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that in my head. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. oh my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why? It's because it's important, and by doing so, they rob the child of his own lesson about what's hot. Yeah, because he's not going to go into it <laughs> once he touches it. <laughs> right, you're not going to go into the fire a second time. Yeah, yeah. Once it touches once, he'll he'll run off. Exactly. But and that's he the, might, but and he might cry, and then mom will nurture him. Oh, there you've got a boo boo. We saw you crawl into that fire. We knew what was going to happen, and now you do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nurturing, as opposed to the critical way. Oh no, you can't go fall into the fire, because now you've been telling yourself, oh no, you can't go do that. Because that's, you learn that behavior. You learn that, uh, oh, no, you can't go do that. Oh, no, you can't go to Thailand. You've got to stay here and work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't go find out for yourself. Well, the teachings of the Buddha is all about, no, you've got to do your own investigation. And you've got to keep doing it. Keep investigating. But sometimes, like... If you're, that's the whole thing. That's always been a, a really big problem with me is that, oh, can I watch a show? You know, can I, can I like do normal things like other people, <laughs> you know, like listen to music and play tennis or something? I don't know. Do something. Sure. <laughs> Why not? 
Are you, uh, the question is not, are you going to watch YouTube? The question is, are you going to enjoy it? But then I always like it's so is is the is the unwholesomeness in not enjoying unwholesome is not enjoying things. Okay. Okay. Not seeing the danger. For some, music can be dangerous. For Lady Gaga, music is dangerous. Okay. Why? Because some of her fans, music is dangerous. See, because okay, it's got I see. all the greed in it, okay? Mm-hmm. But just listening to uh, Beethoven on YouTube, maybe not so dangerous. Okay, I see. This is what I've always felt, and, and, and especially now with the run, like, knowing uh-huh. this. Well, it, a lot of people go around making rules about what you should not be doing. They're caught even in the more Sivabhatam Paramasa. In other words, with Buddhism, thou shalt not... Do everything that you used to do, basically. And they come into it with a critical attitude. They're missing the whole point. They're saying, oh, you're, you're a Dhamma dude now. You can't watch YouTube. Why not? Well, you ought to be meditating. I am. Yeah, yeah. It's... No, you're not. You've got to go do it our way. <laughs> yeah. That's a really... um. Yoga, uh, yogic approach, where it's like the tantric approach of embrace everything and and understand it for yourself, and don't get caught up in that whole. Like I should they be. They got that from the Buddha. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I, we we talked about this, and I wish we could talk about it because that I love that. I love the theories that run in tantra that are connected to Buddhism. Um, even though they argued for no reason for so long, but <laughs> like, like a. So and nothing is cut and dry in this practice. Nothing is just like cut and dry. Like, of course, there are things that you should never do, like kill and steal and things like that. Because you can't do that without being greedy. <laughs> okay, when you say cut and dried, I'm thinking about cutting and drying, and I like both of those things. But the point <laughs> is that cut and dried means that things don't change. Well, exactly. Or, yeah, set, yeah, yeah. or this is yeah. how it should be. Mm-hmm. And we don't recognize that cutting it, that kind of cut and dry, that kind of, this is how things should be mentality, or let's go improve stuff, is all out of that critical parent. Wow, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'm just remembering those moments where I did that. Like, um, and I know it, and I try to put it down. But then I'll come back, uh, or try, and it's like uh, when you go out and you're, oh, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm going to impress my friend. It's funny because these little moments of like you kind of let them slide because you know, you know it, but you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I that's where it kind of starts to like slow down. If I if I don't do anything about it or if I don't like pay attention rightly. So it's kind of just nice to see that. OK, yeah. like, right. Yeah, the like way the, is kind of like walking uphill, and if we slip and fall, then we roll back downhill, back yeah, into yeah. the hindrances. So and so we can come out of that swamp and come back up on dry land again. One of my favorite uh, little effort. One of my favorite uh, verses in the, in James is that he's like, "Up, um, may you not be or 
uh, he's explaining how people of the world are. They're like people who get tossed by the shore. They, uh, he called it double-mindedness. And it's like, where it's like, um, you know, it, he even said, I love, actually, you would love this book. It even says, uh, to think about tomorrow or yesterday is evil. <laughs> like, to think about tomorrow or yesterday is an is a evil thing. Like, in the sense of if you're obsessing it, if you're caring about the things like your okay. bills. But calling it evil. Well, that's King James. It's part of the uh, uh, parent ego state, saying that it's wrong. Yeah. Rather yeah, exactly. than look at what you're doing, thinking about the past and the future, and you can't see the dangers in it. But yeah. calling it evil is yeah. just evil. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the uh, King James. <laughs> and, uh, and James. Just Mormara. Right. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, um, it's just nice to have these confirmations, like, as, as we go, because there are things I don't know, and then there are things that I know, like, of, and, and this CELAP. Uh, everything has to fall into congruency. Yeah, okay. Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean, it has got to fit with physical reality. This is not a magical world, this is real. Second is, is that it's got to conform with um, the Buddha. Third is, for, for me, it also conforms with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa because I know that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was my doorway and he confirms what the Buddha taught. And yeah. so now I'm passing it down to you and you get it from me knowing that it's backed up with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, it's backed up with the Buddha, and it's backed up by reality. Yeah, yeah. So now it's your turn to figure it out that this is also backed up by my own actual deep investigation. And when I say deep, I'm talking about persistent investigation. And that yeah. verifies it and everything is incongruent. And only when all of that congruency is there is doubt completely eradicated. Not only do we say that the Eightfold Path of the Buddha is spot on, but it's spot on for me because I know it because I played it out and it works. Yeah. Okay, and so this is what we mean by congruency. Everything fits together. Yeah, like uh, that's how it starts to feel like these things start to come into place. and Flicks, um, falls into place, congruency, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's almost like... Um, Delightfully so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, if you're doing it right, you. This is like the whole misconception, I guess. I always had is like, if you're doing it right, you'll never make a mistake. And no, then, if you're uh, doing it right, you enjoy your mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's naturally what's starting to happen, which is, uh, it's nice. It's different. It's uh, well, yeah, that's it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's good. It's uh, yeah. Watching YouTube too much is a mistake. Enjoy it. <laughs> or if you say, "Oh, you're watching too much," now you're feeling bad, and so you're not even enjoying your YouTube. Yeah, because I know when when I'm telling myself, "Don't watch YouTube," then I'm watching it, and now I'm like sad about it, and then I can't stop because I want it. <laughs> it's like it's like it becomes mm -hmm. a thing. Right. Like, so we've talked about it in the sense that we see the delight and we see the rule against it. The real issue is, can we see the delight and the danger? And can we also the, see the danger in making rules about it? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's like we, the, this is all the mind then. There is no external like uh, effect. There's no like, scorekeeper. There's nobody keeping score. Well, wouldn't that be dangerous saying it to the wrong person? Yeah. Got to tell it to the right guy who's ready for it. Yeah. That's what ordinary right view is all about is, oh, no, you cannot get away with it. There's somebody keeping score. You're going to have to pay the piper. You got to do it the way we tell you to do it. That's ordinary right view. And that, it's not super mundane, noble right view. Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest quality of difference that I feel from like being God-oriented and rule-oriented and this and, and being Dham-oriented, which is way different <laughs> like it's uh it's Our a lot less built on it that's the whole source and the um the aspect of um culture itself is a set of rules so do you i'm gonna ask you like a kind of not to put you i won't even say his name but um it's a monk and i've learned a lot from him on his youtube channel um, on his hermitage, it's not his, but it's like a hermitage and they bring it out from time to time. And it's a lot of good stuff. But he's a, he kind of preaches like to the to like beginners. It's like you you have to cut dry. You can't do anything. You have to take a while at least to feel the pain of your of your addiction and understand it uh, or feel the pain of sensuality and understand it for what it is so that you can let it go completely. Well, he, yes, all of that is true, but he doesn't have to do it with the critical parent. Yeah, you can yeah. nurture brand new students also. Oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't like go. It's just I think you. I might get. Well, that I saw you doing that with your hand, so that's all I've got to go with. I haven't seen his YouTube. <laughs> it's like uh, I think it's just he's Russian. He's Russian and and he's aggressive, but uh, <laughs> but um, well, that's culture, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It, He's a great, he's, you should watch him. I'll, maybe uh, Not all Russians are, are aggressive, but that's the Western image of them. I, like, I would like to send you a video once um, in a blue moon, like to see it, just one video okay. of his. Because yeah. I, yeah, I, I do respect him a lot because he helped me understand ordinary right view, at least. Like, that I didn't know that it was inward, that you can have an inward uh, responsibility. Um, so it was kind of like that was like my first step in like understanding, oh, I don't my responsibility isn't to the world. It's to myself. And uh, mm -hmm. but sometimes I hear things and I'm like, OK, maybe he's saying it with his language because he, he studied a lot of existential stuff. And uh, sometimes that's confusing. Yeah, so. Well, I'm going to let you go then and you can send me that video. We've been at it for a while. Dennis, I really enjoyed this talk. It's been good. Yes, it's been great. I hope to talk to you soon again. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye.